0: that the more it confuses me and why he would ever even love us would you amen Amen. and his greatness he would care so much for us and do much do so much for us on our behalf amen we so love him today so appreciate him certainly enjoy the special singing appreciate these families coming to be with us god bless you all thank you thank you for using your talent for the lord Amen. So I appreciate people of God in this day that are gifted and talented and yet they meet the challenge of this day by giving that gift back to God. Many many country singers, rock and roll singers, many of them, when you trace their background, you see that many of them begin in church and they sell their gift to the devil. I appreciate people who use their gift. I appreciate our musicians, don't you? I appreciate all those. appreciate the men of God in this day that take their God-given gift and use it for the benefit of the kingdom of God right. instead of a little small secular kingdom of their own name. Right. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn today, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel, again, chapter 40. Um, while you're turning there, let me uh, make this announcement that the pavilion will not be opened this year because of construction that will be going on there with the new multi-purpose facility and possibly a, a um, auditorium there as well, a new auditorium. the work scheduled to begin around uh, May sometime in May, so vacation Bible school has also been canceled because of that, and they're looking at probably a 12 month completion time frame as far as doing that. My sincere hope is that we never have to use it Jesus will come first. That's right. But the prophet told us to plant our potatoes. Brother Jim Whitson walked in the door last night after service was over and said, I want you to know one thing. You're making it very hard for me to plant my potatoes after these sermons. So, Praise the Lord. I think that's wonderful, myself. I think that's when the word of God can come so real that it just does that to you. Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 1. In the five and 20th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was smitten. I, I marvel at the way that God uses certain people in certain ways. Now, Ezekiel, is, as you start out when you go back and read it in chapter 1, verse 1, and you find out that this guy is a very meticulous type of a man. And you can see why that God would want to use him in the way that he did to show him the temple. Now, some people would have just left out the day they'd left out the month. Well, I was, I don't remember what day it was. I was over there praying and the Lord come down and let's say it might've been January. And you don't have to come think about it. It might've been March. God said, no, you're, you're a good guy for a stump preacher, but I need a real precise guy to be able to see these visions. Now watch how God uses men in his own capacity. And he says that he was in the beginning of the year and the 10th day of the month in the 14th year after that the city was smitten. In the selfsame day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither. In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel. And he set me upon a very high mountain by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass or bronze, with a line of flax in his hand. Now, notice in the vision how meticulous that he is, that he picks out certain things even about the man, and a measuring reed. And he stood in the gate, and the man said unto me, Son of man, behold, With thine eyes and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I shall show thee. For to the intent that I may show them unto thee art thou brought hither. Declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious word today. As we endeavor, Lord Jesus, to look into the great future. Of what this earth is looking forward to and the people of God, and more than that, you, Lord Jesus. May you help us today. May this that we're going to speak about, may these scriptures that we have just read, may they come out of the pages of the Bible. May they be more than just an historical account. May it become so real in our hearts. That as we hear the word of God preached, we can place ourselves by the river Chabar. That we can actually feel ourselves embodied in the very movement of God as the city unveils before us. Lord, we love to be called up in rapture into your word. Help us, I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Our setting opens in 574 B.C. The place is Babylon. The man that we have read about is Ezekiel. His background is a priest, but his office is a prophet. So many things have happened to where he's at now. Our story would, if you have time to go back and read it, you can go back some 20 years when the judgment of God is coming through the prophets, and he's warning the children of Israel, if they don't repent, he's going to bring judgment on them. But as people do so many times, they heed to listen to the Spirit of God, and they fail. Some listened to it, obeyed it. Many of them did not. Ezekiel is what is identified as a post-exilic prophet. What that means is that he prophesied after the exile of the children of Israel. He was carried out somewhere between the first and the final journey of those Jews which were moved. He was not the first and he was not the last as Jeremiah was the last. But here he's hes now in in this particular strait that he's in, carried into the land of captivity. He does not want to be there. It was not his fault. And as it runs true with so many things, innocent suffer with the guilty. Ezekiel was not guilty of none of the sins of the children of Israel. Neither was Jeremiah. Neither was many of those that was carried away. But because the predominant number Of the children of Israel kept sinning, rebelling against the word, then they brought the judgment of God upon the entire city and upon the entire nation. At this time they of course were divided into Judah and Israel. But there's a change that comes under this prophecy of Ezekiel in that Ezekiel no longer prophesies to Judah and Israel as a divided nations. But he prophesies to them as the nation of Israel, showing that God is going to bring them back. He has very similar things about him that are similar to Daniel and similar to John, in that Ezekiel prophesies out of the land of Israel. He prophesies in a foreign country, in a foreign nation, which Daniel did as well, of course, and John did. But these men are men that are different than the pre-exilic prophets and the kingdom prophets which prophesied to Judah and to Israel and they were allowed to be able to speak some things that would be prophetic in the future of what God did but yet the most of the pre-exilic prophets they focused on what God was fixing to do and warning on the impending judgment but these men were able by the grace of God to prophesy of what God was going to do way on down the road. And Ezekiel was very special in that God allowed him, unlike Jeremiah and like Zechariah, unlike Daniel, uh, to be able to actually see what was identified as the Millennium Temple. Now as we looked at last night that there are uh, several parallels that identify the seventh day, the millennium, that, are, that carry over into the eighth day into eternity. The millennium is actually the last day of the week of time that God has been dealing with man since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Now we don't know how much time actually existed before the fall. You know, the prophet tells us in many, many places that God said in the beginning, you know, He created the heavens and the earth, and how long that was, He said, we don't know, and He said, it's none of our business. He said it could have been millions and millions of years, or He actually uses the word billions of years. Whenever the beginning was, we really don't know. But whenever we would place time under the cosmos, or the world order as we know of it, from the Garden of Eden, It has been six days or 6,000 years. Then the millennium will be the seventh day, the last day of the week of time that God has been doing this cycle. I hope this don't shake you too bad, but He could have been doing this many times as far as we know. But this is the last one as far as what we know about. Now, in that God has a great plan that he wants to unveil. This is to me what makes him so awesome. As we were talking about that the greatness of God when we begin to gather there around his throne and he begins to unveil to us all that he is. No wonder that it will take eternity for it to unveil how great our father really is. Now, God wanted John to be able to see uh, many things. And John, it's amazing when you look at John, that in his vision, that John never saw so much about the millennium. And yet with Daniel being one of the post exilic prophets that Daniel also, he saw the merging of the kingdoms, but Daniel did not see it so much as particulars the way that Ezekiel saw it, but he saw a stone that was come out of heaven and was not made with hands, and it come down and hit the image and smote the image in the feet, and then the stone grew into a great mountain, which was the Messianic kingdom in the millennium. it would merge on over into the eighth day but when John saw it John just makes mention in Revelation 20 I believe one of the references in verse 4 and he mentions a couple of different places in Revelation that there was a thousand years and the rest of the dead lived not till the thousand years were expired and he mentions the term thousand years the word millennium is actually not used in the Bible but it was a word that comes from the Latin two Latin words uh, which they merge it together to mean thousand years reign but yet John never was carried into the millennium by vision to actually see the, the temple or the city itself or the kingdom so God would use one prophet to use one part of the vision and he would use another prophet to show another part and another part because it is God's actually it's God's story it is God's story that is being declared it's not John's it's not Ezekiel's it's not mine and yours but it's actually God's story so God would use one prophet to show him this part of the era of time and this one another part and that one another part and we see these post exilic prophets as God use them in that varied way because our God loves to do things in such a way aren't you glad that he's that way Now Ezekiel was very special in that he was allowed to be able to break into the millennium and much of his writing was in this post-exilic state. Now he was held of course against his will in the land of Babylon. He was there with others that was there. But yet he was given to be able to break into the fourth dimension and see visions which were beyond what the mind can even comprehend. These visions were so precise that they would be carried on down through time and actually when we are in the millennium and the millennium temple is being built the the Ezekiel's vision was so precise that the construction of the millennium temple will will be followed through to the exact inch of the measure. Because once God shows something, then he never has to alter it because of anything that man does or does not do. So God was actually showing Ezekiel his plans for the millennium temple down to the very steps of the altar by which the step coming up to the altar and the base would be a a certain measurement and the height of the base coming up would be a span which would be four and a half inches of the height of an average man's hand. And then the span would come up and turn across and it would go so many spans and it would go uh, so many lengths this way and that way, exact, precise to what God wanted it to be. Now you're saying, why would God do such a thing? Well, you know, there's several reasons, of course, but God has elect that are down in the land of Babylon. Now, they're not there because of anything they have done themselves, but because they were Israelites and they were living in the land of Israel, they are going to suffer because of the sins of their brothers. Now God is going to encourage them. And what better way to encourage them with a view into their future home? Praise God. Well, I hope God will do the same thing to us today. Maybe some of you are suffering things, shame, humiliation, uh, because of your sins or the sins of others. And yet, you know, sometimes it seems unfair, but because we're part of a family or part of a church or part of a movement, we are identified as a family. We are identified with the downfalls of those that are around us. We are identified with the shame. We are identified with victories and glories and so on and so on. So you imagine when Ezekiel was able by vision to be carried up into this. Now he tells us of course in the 40th chapter exactly when it was. So it was the 14th year after the city had now been destroyed. So it had been the year 574 BC. God allocates these visions over a span of time. Why does it? I I don't know. But yet God chose to do it that way. So in this part now he's been kind of going back and forth and reminiscing of what Israel done, but now he's in the millennium phase of the vision, which begins in chapter 40. If you'd like to read it back, go back to Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39, and you'll find that God leads him right up to Gog and Magog, Meshach and Tubal, which will come right up to the millennium, and also the battle which will follow the millennium at the end. And then in chapter 40, he enters into a new phase of the vision, which is the phase of the glory of the millennium temple and God wants to reveal to him by vision what great thing lays ahead for the people of God no doubt when Ezekiel was able to see these and he had them written down and he would go among the elect which was in the land of Babylon with him and he would tell them just think I, I want to sit down and I want to tell you what God showed me God showed me that Israel is going to come back as one nation you'll no longer be divided as Judah and Israel and the elect to say oh Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You mean we're not going to be destroyed? God, God has told me and showed me by vision there's coming a time when the land of Israel will be restored again. There's actually going to be a two-fold restoring. It will be in time, and then there's going to be this time. I don't know how to explain it, but all I know is that I saw a lion and a lamb lay down together, and there will be peace on the earth. I don't know when it's going to be. It seemed to me as if though it would be two dispensations of the glory glory of God in two different time frames and elements that would come upon the earth. And I saw this gigantic city, and it was 5,000 feet this way, 5,000 feet that way, 5,000 feet this way, 5,000 feet this way, and it looked like to me it was 5,000 feet that way. For those of you that understand how many feet in a mile, 5,280 feet, 1,760 yards. So the very base of this city was a mile either direction. Now you imagine this man as he sees this and he's trying to sort through. Is this when Israel is restored back to the homeland because Jeremiah's already said they're going to go back after 70 years or is this a later time? When is this thing going to happen? I saw this river coming out from under the throne of God and it went down to the salt sea and when the water hit it, the sea was healed. And I saw fishermen standing up there fishing and they were drawing all of these fishes out of the sea. Then I can hear him say in chapter 48, verse 30. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side. 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward. One gate of Reuben. One gate of Judah. One gate of Levi. At the east side, 4,500. Three gates, one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures. And three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Issachar, one gate of Zebulun and on the west side 4500 and the three gates one gate of gad and one gate of asher and one gate of naphtali amen, amen. revelation 21:12 and it had a great wall high and 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels And names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now remember, this is the eighth day city. So Ezekiel sees the seventh day city bearing the image of the eighth day city. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And notice one of the difference between what he saw and what Ezekiel saw. And in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now Ezekiel didn't see this in the millennium. Because now we're moving to where the restoration of the eights brings the total gospel story into great precious jewels that will be magnified and brought down on the earth. The entire story, remember the millennium kingdom, has a great deal to do, not only with you as a Gentile bride, but it has to do with Israel as a nation. Amen. Amen. Notice again. Ezekiel looked in chapter 47 verse 12 and he said, By the river upon the bank thereof and on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade. Notice what happens to the people in the millennium. They become herbivores. Praise be to God. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months. Oh, son, that bothers some of you steak eaters, does it? Remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam never ate pork. He never ate bacon. He never ate meat. He ate fruit. But part of the punishment for his downfall was God said, You shall eat the herb or the roughage of the field before he ate soft foods. Fruits. He never ate herbs. But God then said, Because you have done this, now you will eat the herb of the field. But notice showing that man has now changed. He's tree eating again. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. It shall bring forth new fruit. According to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. Now can you imagine that the saints of God That are there in glorified bodies They do not have of course any need For any type of medication Or anything like that But there will be millions of people Living on the face of the earth in the millennium That will not have glorified bodies And yet all disease germs Will be captured by then Will be killed and dead And yet the grace of God will have these trees That will be putting out Different fruits And they will have constant renewing of abilities remember for the natural people and natural bodies it is Adam again it is Adam again in the garden of Eden but you're not Adam again you've already moved into the order of Melchizedek amen. where you cannot die but they need their use renewed and there will be how amen By eating the leaves of the trees that are watered, coming from the water out from under the house of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wow. Revelation 22:2. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree... We're for the healing of the nations. But now all people there in the eighth day have eternal bodies. So listen what the leaves are now for in the eighth day. Future home. And all up and down here will be the redeemed. That will be the houses of pure gold. That will be avenues and parks and gardens. Praise be to God. And the river of life come trickling out from the throne, running down through the little chasms. No wonder I love waterfalls. And over the terraces and the tree of life. Can you imagine the water of life coming down through the little chasms and over the terraces? And there will be gardens and parks. Oh, my. And running down through the little chasms over the terraces and the tree of life will be blooming in every yard. And bear its fruits twelve times a year. A change fruit every month. And the kings of the earth shall come into it and bring their honor. Now those that's the ones that live outside the city. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. When the kings are living in peace out there. When they go out and they'll pick a Pick a leaf off of that, like the dove. Come back, with the wrath of God had been settled, and brought back the holly leaf into the ark. So when the king leaves, bringing his glory into the bride's chamber. Do you understand what this city is? It's your chamber. This city that John saw adorned as a bride, dressed and adorned for her husband, it's the bridal chamber. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He'll hold a leaf over to his neighbor king and said, we're in peace forevermore. Healing of the nations. It's all settled. One time we fought for one another's blood, brother. And we cherished and hollered and shot and burned children and everything. But now there is peace. Not disease healing. It's all done. Healing of the nations. Can you imagine there will be a time when the blacks will not want to fight the whites. And the whites will not be racist against the blacks or the Chinese or the American Indian? And all of that will be destroyed and annihilated. John was taken to a high mountain to show him this vision. Ezekiel was also taken to a high mountain to be able to show this vision. John was given an angelic escort. Ezekiel was given an escort by what he called a man, which is in parenthesis, if you look at it's his theophany. So, he's visited by this man in the form of a theophany, and he has two measuring instruments by which he shows him. Notice in Isaiah chapter 2, he refers to us how that when John is carried up, Or Ezekiel, rather, into this great vision in the millennium. That the, as I mentioned last night, the topography of the land has now changed. Isaiah 2.2, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. Notice the house of God in the millennium will be set upon the highest exalted place on the earth, insomuch that all the rest of them will look in comparison to hills. And many people shall go up and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Praise be to God. Now central to the subject of worship will be temple number four. Let me read a little bit of history. I'll put it up here in the brothers rather so you can read with me. First temple sometimes called Solomon's temple was constructed during the reign of Solomon 970 B.C. to 930 B.C. This temple was destroyed nearly 400 years later in 586 B.C. The destruction at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar occurred on the 9th of Av. Av is the fifth month in the Jewish calendar and equates to August in our calendar. The second temple's construction was begun by Zerubbabel and Ezra in about 538 B.C. This temple was remodeled and expanded by Herod the Great. That renovation took 46 years from 19 B.C. to 27 A.D. Now it was this temple which was called the second temple that the Lord Jesus would have come to and was dedicated in. It was this temple that the Lord Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers twice in his ministry. It was this temple that he prophesied when he come into the city and he rode, come in rather walked in on the Mount of Olives and whenever he did and he overlooked the city and the scripture said that Jesus wept. And he looked upon the city, so how often I would have gathered you together as a hen doth gather her brood, but you would not. Now your time is left unto you, and the hour of desolation shall come. And then he said, It shall come to pass. There will not be one stone left upon the other. Now Jesus is giving the, the, the prophecy of Titus, the Roman general, which will ride in in 70 A.D. He will lay a besiege against the city. My, my The the people will eat their children They will do all kinds of horrific things To try to survive But ultimately the city was destroyed And the temple Guess what day It was destroyed on The exact same day The ninth day of Av That the first one Was destroyed on Temple 1, Temple 2 Temple 3 of course will be built in the time of the tribulation period now remember there's only a short span of time three and a half years by which the last half of Daniel 70 week has not been fulfilled so those of you that study such things and you keep up with the temple and institute and all this and that you know that much of it has already been built the garments the many of the utensils and all of that it's already there to be sort of a prefabricated type of thing and they'll be able to put it together in a very very short quick time so Satan will actually incarnate himself his chief demon will be on the earth at the time, enter into the pope, whoever the acting pope is, and then whenever the bride goes up and Satan comes down, cast out of heaven, then Satan will enter inside this pope and it will become the very vicar of God, then he will replace God, set in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the third temple. At the end of the tribulation period, the temple will be annihilated and destroyed. Now let's move to the fourth temple. Fourth is the number of earthly deliverance. We don't think about four very much, but four is a very great number in the economy of God. There are four cycles to the phases of the moon. It was the fourth man in the fire, not the fifth, sixth, or seventh. So we see that fourth is the number of earthly deliverance. So the fourth temple will be the number of earthly deliverance by which it will bring worship back into the eternal. Now remember that the millennium is the last day of the week of time by Which God is closing out the loop of time and pull it right back into eternity again. So we will close it out with the fourth temple. It will be a magnificent place, and many of you may wonder in your mind, why in the world do we even need such a thing like that anyway? It will be testifying of the greatness of God pointing back to the cross. Now remember, every lamb, every turtle dove, every pigeon, every bullock, every animal sacrifice that was offered in the Old Testament pointed toward the Lord Jesus. Everything that transpires in the millennium temple will be pointing back to the Lord Jesus this way. So on this side, we're pointing toward the cross. On this side, after the cross, we're pointing back. I have a problem with those who say we don't need the blood no more. I have a problem with saying we don't need a mediator anymore. I don't know about you I still need one every day of my life. I am a human. I am a mortal. I need the mercy of God to come to me. Come on you might as well say amen. You need it as well as I do. So even in the millennium for those who feel like that we'll never even be talking about such there's going to be people raised up on the earth in the millennium that never even heard about the cross. So they will be pointed toward what? The worship that's going Going on inside the millennium temple and there will be children that will be born every day there will be children that will be brought up to the house of God for the first time and they were born it's going to be great great work very great teaching and very great principles of everything pointing back to what the cross of Christ and there in the millennium it consummates the full gospel story as it comes right back around in full circle and there God will consummate everything he wanted to accomplish in time there will not be one desire there will not be one thing that he wished to accomplish in time which will not be totally consummated by the time the Millennium reaches its last day what a mighty God Now notice, so then the millennium temple will be pointing back. Now you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, why do we take communion and foot washing? Every time we do that, which has been done for 2,000 years, we are pointing backward to what he did. So whatever transpires in the millennium temple, it will be doing exactly the same thing. Look, friends, we talk about it so much, I'm afraid it becomes so common to us, we still lose the emphasis of the power of the blood, the power of the cross, and what it means in the millennium for a thousand years. We're still going to be pointing back to what God done for us. you imagine as the teachers and the rabbis and according to you last night that the priest of the lineage of Zadok to them will be given to take care of whatever the things that happen in the millennium temple. I know some of you done been reading ahead of me and you've been, knowing, you've been looking at all these things already and does it look like that there will be animal sacrifice in the millennium? Yes it does but yet the prophet said there won't be no death so you go figure that out and then come let me know what you come up with. All I know is there's going to be a temple and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, so I'll just kind of leave it hanging there. If I don't know the answer, I ain't going to tell you. And that don't hurt me at all as a preacher. As a matter of fact, I say it all the time. I don't have all the answers, and I'm afraid of every man that does. And I'm afraid of you if you think you've got all the answers. All I know is I'm going to be there, and I'll understand it better by and by. But now imagine from Abel on toward down through the power of the cross that every one of those things was foreshadowing his coming so then in memorial in retrospect we look back and we testify of all that he done the power of the blood the releasing of our sins notice now again Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 and many people shall go and come and say let us go to the mountain of the house of the Lord what are they coming for you know it's amazing because the nations when they're resurrected they feel their ignorance they know that they don't know where they are and they sense they don't know exactly what's going on so they say let's go to the house of God I wish a lot of folks had learned that now these ain't know-it-alls now they're people that realize their need notice they said let us go to the house of God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths." for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem so they feel that they need I don't understand what all this is about they was not born saved they were not born with the ultimate knowledge to know you're there in glorified bodies you know what it's all about praise God we're here enjoying the millennium we're pointing back to what the Lord Jesus did. here walks this poor man from Babylon or from Iraq or from Iran, wherever he's from, he don't have a clue. So he says, can anybody tell me where I need to go to figure out what's going on? We'll say, church. You want to know where you are in time? Don't Google it. Ask a man of God. You want to know what's fixing to happen? Don't Google it. Google don't have the answer. Come on, saints. Notice in Isaiah 54, 13. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. Think about it, not not taught by a preacher. But taught of the Lord. And great shall be the peace of thy children. Micah 4, 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go Up, Let us go up. Now why? They're living down here. Let us go up to the mount of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. Who is this doing this? The nations now, not the bride. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth from Zion and the word from Jerusalem. There will only be one religion on the earth in the millennium. There will not be Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's the three major religions of the world, beside all the rest of them that, you know, that has all different kinds of constituents, millions of them. There will not be three major religions. There will only be one truth. Allah will be nowhere to be found. Nor will his prophet Muhammad. There will be no Sikhs, no Jains, no Buddhists. Now, they might have been former Buddhists before they had the opportunity, but when they are raised in the millennium, there'll be no pot-bellied statues sitting around nowhere. There'll be no Hare Krishna followers. (laughs) The civil and religious stance of the modern day which is so set in our country to divide the civil things, you know, of our court justice system and that and the other. We can't have no religious symbols on a courthouse and we can't have a cross and we can't have this and we can't have that. And we know, of course, who that's coming from. That's from the devil. That will not be so in the millennium. Both civil and religious truths will be merged together under the messianic reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no separation between church and state. And if you're a real Christian there ain't no separation today between your soul and the way you live. Now you see people want to bring that same separation between church and state right in their walk with God. So they go to church and do their Sunday morning deal whatever and they live out like the rest of the world, like the rest of the weekend, they live like a devil. They're trying to separate church and state. But in reality, the bride knows the way you live, the way you talk, kind of music you listen to, the kind of books you read, come on somebody, the kind of life you live, it don't separate from Monday to Sunday to Wednesday to Friday. It's the same seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and also on leap year. Now notice, let's look in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Notice the prophet in sixfold purpose of Gabriel's visitation. Here at the end time, he's to anoint the most holy. What is the most holy? To my way of thinking and seeing it rather, which I believe I can prove it by the scripture, it is to anoint the most holy will be the tabernacle that will be used during the millennium. Praise, the Lord. Praise God. So wonder how long it'll be in the building. Now, unlike the eighth day, which comes down from heaven, already pre-built. We will be building our houses in the first few days, weeks, or months. Wonder what he's going to be doing. Healing the Dead Sea, building the temple. See, in our mind, we're thinking, oh my, whenever we step out, it'll all be done. No, no still need healing in the very beginning days of the millennium. Houses will be being built. It'll be the most major construction going on the earth since God created the earth in the beginning. Everywhere you look, there'll be signs under construction. Well, you ought to be able to rejoice on that because that's what you are today. You're still bearing your sign right now, are you not? How many of you Christians are still under construction? Let me raise both of my legs, my arms, all my feet. Let me I'm still under construction. Oh, glory. The under construction zone still carries on in the millennium until it fades into the time when he can say every building is finished. The dining room for the sons of Zadok is complete. The worship center, all this and that is all done. The, the, the mercenaries will be constantly coming back and the advocates of the outside kingdoms of what's going on. Lord, this one is done. The city over here is done. Praise God. Under your dominion, the earth is looking so wonderful. The Dead Sea, I want to report to you, the last little bit of water down on the Dead Sea has now been did and there's no longer salt in it. I was down there this morning, there was big trout jumping up out of that water, there was perch there was bass, there was all kinds of things, you remember down there the way Sodom was, nothing but just big old rocks protruding out of the earth, I was down there this morning, it is lush green it looks like a paradise, it is basically a beautiful utopia another garden of Eden again, my Lord I commend you, you are a great creator praise to God Notice, the Bible said, watch in the description, of the temple that is to be built in the millennium. Oh my goodness, so Brother Ranham believed that there would be a temple built in the millennium. Wow. Well, if we're in it already, according to some of the folks around the message, where is it? <laughs> Praise the Lord, where is it? It ain't this. I ain't never seen no church as big as this one's going to be. Where is it? It's in the future to be. Now notice he says Ezekiel, the 40th chapter until about the 44th chapter, is nothing in the world but the Millennium Temple being erected on the earth. Notice being erected. So it's actually being built in the first weeks or months or may I stretch it and say years on the millennium but brother donnie we're running out of time we've got a thousand years we ain't running out of time we got plenty of time to do whatever needs to be done oh praise be to god notice again oh my let's jump on down there brother daniel if you would paragraph 110 or 20 rather sixfold purpose anointing that anointing the temple for the millennium ring Now, the temple's got to be built, and then it has to be anointed. Isn't it amazing? The anointed will anoint the temple. King Jesus will come out and anoint the temple of God, and the priest of Zadok's lineage will take over from there. And the priest will enter a certain gate, and the prince will enter another gate, which is only accessible by him. Praise God. Notice now, let me read this to you. Let's jump down a little bit, Brother Daniel. Let's skip a little bit here. Let's come down to a little bit more history. In the fifth year of his own exile from Jerusalem, that is 593 BC, Ezekiel was called by God to exercise a prophetic ministry to the house of Israel, which he continued until about the year 570. Ezekiel was married. In fact, his wife died as a sign from God on the day of the siege the day of the siege of Jerusalem began. Now he gives 318 precise measurements of the temple using some 37 unique words that are architectural terms. But he was no architect. Neither was Brother Branham no Harvard or Yale University graduate. But he used terms that could astound doctors. 37 unique words that are architectural terms such as doorposts, windows, etc. Now, with this background, let us go. I'm just now beginning my sermon. <laughs> oh, that was a preface. In the five and twentieth year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, and the tenth day of the month, and the fourteenth year, I to the city was smitten, and the self-same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Now we move into a different dispensation by which God allows this term to be commonly used among the prophets, and that was the hand of the Lord was upon me. And verse 2, and the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel. Notice, no longer joint together Judah and Israel, but this is now after the land has been reunited again. Praise God, all church splits are over. All family fighting, all family feuds, they're all done. No more church splits, no more family splits. And set me upon a very high Mountain. Now the topography has changed. And you imagine Ezekiel, now he was very familiar with the geography of this land. He was very familiar with how he looked around. And he's carried over here by vision. And he's looking around and saying, oh my goodness. I can't believe how much. This, whoa, look, look how high this is. I don't remember Jerusalem ever being this high before. Ezekiel, you're in the millennium. I've changed it. I've changed it. By which was the frame, wow, the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass. A line of flax was in his hand and a measuring reed. And he stood in the gate. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes and hear with thine ears and set thine heart upon all that I will show thee. For to thee the intent that I may show unto thee that thou art brought thither. So the millennium temple now, it differs in many ways, of course, in the first, second, and third temple. In that it has no wall of partition to exclude the Gentiles. Why? Jesus tore down the wall of partition. A little bit of modification and remodeling needed to the Millennium Temple, because of who you. First Temple was very fitting; you was excluded. Second Temple very fitting; you were excluded. Fourth Temple not fitting; you're included. So you don't need a mental wall of partition. Neither is there an outer court for women. Because Jesus done something supernatural in the New Testament, He gave women the Holy Ghost. My Lord, I thought some of you women would be standing up doing a happy dance. Praise God. Think of it, sisters. You've got just as much access to the presence of God as your husband does. You've got just as much access to being born again as any preacher, any deacon, any trustee. Praise God. Ezekiel saw no labor. Remember the labor was made on the outside. It was made initially in the tabernacle of the wilderness. It was made from the looking glasses, which were polished breasts, of the women. So the women don- can donated their mirrors. They donated their mirrors and they took those mirrors, those mirrors and smelted it down. And they made the brazen labor. The brazen labor had a foot at the top and a foot at the bottom. It was for the washing of their feet. And the, the washing of their hands was because their daily activities. Oh my. Day by day they come and go and become dusty aren't you glad we've still got one today that we out here in the world we come into the church on Sunday morning my we're loaded down with the burdens and the troubles of the week, but we can come to the washing of the water of the word and we can wash our feet our goings, wash our hands, our doings and then we feel like we can come into the house of God, we're ready for church but Ezekiel sees no labor why? everybody's doings are good Ain't nobody going to no honky tonks. There ain't no honky tonks. Ain't nobody going to no mo- movie theaters. There ain't no movie theaters. Amen. Amen. He looks around the temple. He sees no table of shewbread. Remember, the table of shewbread contained the twelve loaves of bread, which is called the bread of his paneum, paneum, which is the bread of his face. It's amazing when Paul uses the word in Romans and he says, according to the purpose of him who has called us according to his own purpose. And in the word English, the English word purpose is the exact same Hebrew word that that they use in the Old Testament for showbread. So we in the New Testament become the showbread before his face. So Ezekiel looks around and he said, there's no table of showbread. Uh Praise be to God. No lampstand or menorah the seven church ages have passed. Praise be to God. No golden altar of incense. No veil between the second place and the holiest of holies. Don't you see? It's all memorial of one thing. The menorah doesn't need to be there. We're not remembering you. We're not remembering what a great preacher you was or what a great this or that or the other you were in the dispensation of the menorah. It's all about what he done on the cross. When are we ever going to get to that spot and realize, I don't care how much you pray, how much you read your Bible, how much you attend church, how much you give him the offering, that has nothing to do with it. If you don't have the blood of Jesus, you're lost. And let me tell you something, I think it's a shame when we get away from preaching the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the message of the hour and we're bringing our kids up to be no more than a bunch of Amish or Mennonite. They're accepting this message by tradition when they need an experience with God. Our children have to be born again. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. No altar of incense. So the sons of Zadok walk in, and there's no incense. No veil. Another one, notice this. No ark of the covenant. (laughs) There's only one piece of furniture in the entire. I don't care how deep you are and how long you've been around. If you ever get to a spot, you think you don't need that still in your eternal room in the presence of God. You've totally missed this message. You know how you're accepted today in the eyes of God? There's a sacrifice that lays on your altar, my friend. That is the Lord Jesus. Notice... The previous altars, I wrote this down so I could share it with you. The previous altars were all approached from the south. Now there there will be no stairs to the altar. Stairs, but not a ramp. The top of the altar is now described by the Hebrew word Ariel. Ariel, meaning hearth of God or Lion of God. Lion, L-I-O-N, Ariel. Praise be to God. The Lion and the Lamb have merged together. Another feature, as we looked at it last night, I we'll just brief it. From under this temple is totally different than the others. And that was a stream of living water coming right out from under the throne of God. Notice again in Ezekiel 42:15. Now let's look at the size of this temple city. Now, when he had made an end of measuring the inner house, he brought me forth toward the gate whose prospect is toward the east and measured it roundabout. And he measured the east side with a measuring reed, five hundred reeds, and the measuring reed roundabout. And he measured the north side 500 reeds with a measuring reed roundabout, And he measured the south side 500 reeds. Now couldn't God just simply told him this? God don't do things the way we think he ought to. God does it the way he could have just said, look here, here's the size of it. Just go ahead and type it in on your phone, text. That's the way we are. But God wanted to go through all this. God's got reasons for it all. And he turned about to the west side and measured 500 reeds of the measuring reed. And he measured it by the four sides. And it had a wall round about. 500 reeds long. 500 broad to make a separation between the sanctuary and the profane place or the outside place. 500 reeds therefore measured 3,000 cubits or 5,000 feet nearly a mile long. A mile that way, a mile that way, a mile that way, and a mile this way, because the city sits four square. So the temple site will be a mile square, but the land surrounding it will be 52 miles long and 21 miles wide, which means there's no room with the current boundary of the Mediterranean. That's no problem with God. He can just simply say, scoot back if you don't mind. Praise be to God. Now, Can you imagine? This city can easily reach one mile high with the angle of descent going up the city. Don't you say it's a prototype? It's a prototype of the city in the eighth day. Don't you see when Brother Branham drawed the pyramid? Don't you understand what that is? It's a prototype of the city in the millennium. Of the city in the eighth day. Of that city that's inside of your walk was God. Those steps that God is building inside of you. Oh, hallelujah. It is a prototype of the eternal work of God himself. Oh, my, let me read a couple more and we'll close. We ain't going to get down to this. We broke into eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Ezekiel 43, one, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looked toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Now God, now the temple's been built. And Ezekiel gets a personal, private tour. Praise. You imagine you get a personal tour of a building that ain't gonna be built for thousands of years after you live. That's my God. <laughs> Praise God. And whenever he walks out, and he said, You see, go clear out, clear out. So
1: here he comes.
0: And the glory of God came from the way of the east. And his voice, like the voice of many waters in the earth, shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision which I saw. When I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision. That I saw by the river Shabar. And I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house. By the way of the gate. Whose prospect is toward the east. So the spirit took me up. And brought me into the inner court. And behold. The glory
1: of the Lord.
0: Filled the house. So he finishes his tour. And he looks and he sees toward the east gate, the prospect. And he sees it coming. Oh, God, there it comes. And the glory of God comes and enters in. And the Spirit of God took me up and brought me. So he actually lifts him up in the vision and sets him to the inner court and sets him down. And he sees the glory of God coming in the doors, in the windows. Everywhere. The pillar of fire. The glory of God. Entering the sanctuary of the Most High. We'll read together and we'll close. Verse 7. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet For I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile. Neither shall they, the kings, by their whoredoms, nor by the carcasses of the kings in their high places. Let's stand. Let's stand. Praise God. Can you imagine how overwhelming, Brother Terry, this must have been to Ezekiel whenever he looks at this city. In the time of Josephus, the circumference of the city of Jerusalem was about four miles. Four miles. It was thought to be a large city. But when Ezekiel is carried up to see such a place, it must have been so overwhelming. Now I know, friends, it's very hard it's very hard. Within 30 minutes or less, some of you will be sitting at a restaurant, thumbing through the menu. Do I want steak today? Do I want chicken? Do I want chicken? Do I want steak? Do I want pork? Some of you will be going through a drive-thru. Give me a single with lettuce, tomato, and ketchup. Give me a glass of tea. I want this, that, and the other. Then you'll be talking about your problems after church, and you'll be discussing how, how are we going to handle this? How, what are we going to do? What, uh, it's so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. so much going on. I know we're living in such a contrasting world. To set where we're allowed to set in the end time in this message of the hour, and this ain't just you, like you all are just special among all the rest of these message people, but all over the world, message people all over the world have set in assemblies today and feasted upon the body word of the Son of Man. And they'll have to go back to their African huts or they'll have to go back to the little shanties in India or whatever more. And how do we condense in? How do we come down from such a place, from such a world to face the reality of present time? To be caught up again Wednesday night. <laughs> to be let down for two more days. To be caught up again Saturday night. How how, how do we deal with this? Before long, the up and down will get to us to such a place, along with everything else that's going on out here, that he'll say, I'm sick of it for my sweetheart. Every day this place is getting more unfitting for you to live. One day he will say, no more. This is it. I can't stand it no more for her. Praise God. Hasten the day, Lord Jesus. Oh, I know we got loved ones. I I realize all that. But let me tell you something. If God gives some of them a thousand years, they'd still make the same decision when it's over. People in the millennium will. Let me reiterate it to you again. What I said last night. I do not understand people who do not want to serve this God. I don't understand it at all. They would look at me and look back at me and said, I don't understand why you would want to. And both of us are being totally, completely honest. If you want to serve Him today, you ought to be one of the happiest people that lives on this planet. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not just talking about acting the part of religion and being a hypocrite and a Pharisee. I'm talking about He is your heart. He is your life. He is your love. He is the reason you live. You are so blessed, friends. You are so blessed. How many needs help living in this contrasting world? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Lord Jesus, how we appreciate you so much. No wonder it'll take eternity for this great program as you set with us from time to time and begin to unveil it to us. Lord, I don't mind telling you, it's getting harder and harder as we deal with this life. Oh, years ago, you placed upon my heart a A sermon entitled The Events, the Future Events That Was Coming. And Lord, it struck us, but it never affected us like this one has done. Why? Times are worse. We're further up the road, and the word is more clear now than it was in a few years ago. Lord, help us. There's folks standing here today with tremendous burdens, tremendous things are going through in life. They've been told by a doctor a bad report, a pathology report, a bad CT scan, a bad test result. They've just heard some news this very day or this week about a loved one. Lord, some of them just found out some of the things their children have been doing or a companion has been doing, sinful and wrong, it's devastated them. And yet we come here and we hear a preacher talk about a, a city that's coming And a house that's going to be built and we think, we're trying to sort through our mind. So what good does that do me now? With all my troubles and all my stress. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring present comfort for your people this very morning. We love to hear and read and speak about the future things that lay before us. But we know that you are not a God that is just concerned about future events alone. But you are concerned about our present needs, our desires, and the situations that we're in this very day. Give us strength, Lord. How do we condescend and in a few moments go out and fellowship with some of the saints, get in our car, go down the road, stop in a drive-through, go in and sit down? Maybe the older one's going, lay down, nap a little bit, rest and get up and then decide what they're going to do this evening. How do we span those two worlds? How can we ever be able to be the same after walking in these places with you? I know you do that, Lord. You want to make us so homesick. We can see John on the Isle of Patmos that he did not say these words at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. But at the very closing words of the chapters, of the very end of the book. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Those visions must have changed John forever. Oh Lord, help us I pray today Father. Change us would you Lord. We've got our children to raise. These folks have businesses, they have jobs, they have things to take care of. We plant our taters, we build a church, we do whatever we do. Lord, we don't want to be idle. Lord, but help us, I pray, that nothing we do and nothing we participate in overtakes the main purpose that we are here. That is to serve you and fulfill your will. We desire to be the shoe bread on your table. Even right now, Lord, the bread of your face, that we are waved before you. A lot of people just want to be seed. We don't want to be seed alone. We want to be bread. The cycle of the seed, praise God, is wonderful. The alpha seed become the omega seed. But that's not the end of the purpose of the seed. The seed is brought through a process to be ground into fine flour. And then the fine flour is made into a loaf of bread. May we be the bread on your table, Lord Jesus. Help us today, Father. Would you do me a favor? Would you lay your hand on that person standing by you? If it's someone you wouldn't feel comfortable with, a sister, maybe to your brothers or something like that, you are certainly feel free to move about if you'd like. You never know what that person brought with them to church today. You never know the burden that's so heavy. It's all they've been able to do this morning was to sit there and get through the service. It might be your prayer of faith that God will use to encourage that brother, that sister, that young man, that young lady. Let's just join our faith together, shall we? Heavenly Fathers, we stand here in this place today. May it not be just this visible audience, but those that are streaming, Lord. Those down in Georgia, those up in Newfoundland, those Father in Africa, different parts of the world that are here this service. May they stop what they're doing, Lord. Maybe it's a man, dear God, there in his home. Lord Jesus, we pray for the bride around the world. We're not just concerned about our own today, Lord. But, oh Jesus, may you minister to the needs of your people. Heavenly Father, we're not only just concerned about the bride, but may you bring in every foolish virgin that can come in, Lord, because we know once the bride is gone, mercy is over. Oh, Jesus, may you bring in every lost soul that can even be saved, Heavenly Father. May you fill with the Holy Ghost. Maybe there's some here today, Lord, or some that have watched this service, or we'll watch it later. They're at that breaking point in their life. They don't know what to do. Lord Jesus, may you minister to them. May you help them, Lord. You're the God of all comfort. Who comforted us. That we may comfort others. Help us, I pray, Lord God. Minister healing. Minister strength. Oh, Lord God, you who took this great prophet Ezekiel. Post-exile prophet. Then, Father, I pray, if there be some here today that's dealing dealing with post-divorce, post-separation post-trauma in their lives. You're the God who deals in post-situations, Lord, to bring encouragement and strength and help to your children. Father, we worship you today. We love you, Lord Jesus. May you minister to the needs of your children right now, Father. We worship you with all of our hearts, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God Thank you Lord Jesus Praise be to God Thank you Father we worship you You're the mighty God There is no other God but you There is no creator There is no healer You're the almighty El Shaddai And as Ezekiel says it in chapter 48 The name of the city Will be given a new name It shall be called Jehovah Shammah or the Lord is there. He is present. Praise God, Lord. We sent you right here now. We don't have to wait for the millennium. Thank you for being here, present among us today, Lord Jesus. It's not because we deserve it, not because we're worthy, but the mercy of Almighty God. We want to say once again, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking our place at the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood for us, Lord. Oh, it's old-fashioned. It's outdated to say thank you for the blood. Some message folks don't even want to sing songs about it no more, but we still do, Lord. We need the blood. We thank you for the blood, Father. We thank you for that precious blood. We believe it's still active and alive today. Thank you, Lord God. Let's just sing a little something, saints, before we go. You love Him with all your heart. Ain't it been good today to be in the house of the Lord. Be seated in heavenly places.
1: Take me past the outer courts. Lord Jesus. To the holy place. Yes, Lord. Pass the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your I face. I want to see your face, Lord. Pass me by the crowds of people. Yes, Lord. The priests who sing your praise. Lord, Jesus. A hunger and thirst oh, for your God. righteousness. Lord, I want to be in your place. Take me in. Lord. To the Holy holy, of holies. holy. Take me in by the, the blood hand. of the Lamb Take me in to the Holy of Holies Take the coal, touch my lips Here I am Take me An altar, Lord. I, Lord, want, I want to I see, see your, face. your face. Cast me by the crowd, Lord of Jesus. Lord For Jesus, the priests to sing your praise. Blessed be the Lord. God. Hunger and thirst, your me, righteousness, the Lord. but it's only found in one place.
2: church today amen. Amen. amen praise the lord oh go ahead and give the lord a good hand clap of praise this morning amen well god bless you as we leave today let's think on these things makes you want to leave brother terry it makes you want to be part of it right now don't it and we are part of it we're still in we're still under construction but we are part of it Praise the Lord. So appreciate our singers being here with us. Do you have any music with you? No CDs? What about the Duke family? Do they have any CDs? Well, go home and make one if you haven't made one. Because we certainly enjoyed your singing. Praise the Lord. Shake hands with somebody. Tell them God bless them. Brother Harry, just continue to sing that as we get ready to leave this morning. Take me in to the Holy of Holies. God bless you, church. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Shake hands with our visitors today, if you will. Take
1: me in the, the Holy Take me in by the blood of the Lamb Cuts my lips, here I am. By the crowds of people, the priests to sing your praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found in one place.